This is Retail Retold, the story of how that store ended up in your neighborhood. I'm your host, Chris Ressa, and I invite you to join my conversation with some of the retail industry's biggest influencers. This podcast is brought to you by DLC Management. Welcome to Retail Retold, everyone. Today I am joined by Taylor Offer. Taylor is the founder of Feet. He is a social media mogul. I am excited for him to be here. Welcome to the show, Taylor. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be on. So, Taylor, tell us a little bit about you and what you do. So, I do a lot of things. Uh, My main thing I do is I run a company called Feet that I've done for seven years now. Started in the college dorm room, and now uh, we're opening our first retail stores, uh, growing the team a lot. And it's an exciting time. So with feet, we make extremely soft and comfortable clothes. Uh, the softest clothing you ever feel, the, the thesis behind it is it's clothes that you could feel good and also go wherever you want to go in. So uh, it seems like there was this mix where you either could be super comfy and look like a slob or you could be really put together wearing a button down, look great, but not feel comfortable. So the idea is to feel comfortable and look good wherever you go. Interesting. So I got a lot of questions about it. Uh, I'll, I'll get to that. I'll, I'll get to them. Um, but uh, I'm going to start out with a couple. So one, it, there's so many new brands that have come up and um, especially in the lifestyle space. Do you do you see competition out there for like who do you consider competition? Do you see competition out there, or do you feel you're so unique? Where where do you think competition lies, or is yeah, it all I clothing? Mean, like, are you like Budweiser who thinks they're they're competing for throat share with everybody? Yeah, so I think I mean competition is anyone. I I look at it more macro. Competition is wherever anyone's spending dollars that they have. That's competition. Um, so there there are there's a lot of competition out there. In terms of clothing, there's a lot of competition in different parts of our business. You know, if you want to buy a hoodie, there's a lot of places to buy a hoodie. If you want to buy a comfortable pair of joggers, there's a lot of places to buy a comfortable pair of joggers. So there's a lot of competition uh, in the loungewear or in the activewear. Um, where I think we differentiate is there's with directly what, exactly what we're doing in terms of our brand, our products, our fabrics. There's no one who is uh, the same as us. We stand out there. But um, in terms of clothing in general, there's competition everywhere. Um, so that's why it's so important to stand out, have a brand people love, have fabrics that people love, products that people love, the right fits, the lights, right silhouettes, right colorways. Um, so that's how we really stand out. Understood. You have a fashion background or, you know, you know, how did you decide clothing? So I don't have a fashion background. We actually started the company myself and my co-founder when we were in college. I got into clothing freshman year, I joined a fraternity and they made me buy this $15 t-shirt for the first event. And then next week there's another event. They made me buy another $15 t-shirt. And I was like, this is, I'm going to lose. I don't have this much money. I'm going to run out of money buying these um, different t-shirts for these different events. So I figured out how to make them for cheaper as a, when I was pledging, I told my fraternity, I was like, Hey, I want to make the shirts for all the fraternity. Realized I can make it for like three bucks and sell it to the fraternity for 15, make $12 a, a shirt on 200 units so 200 times 12 you know you're looking at 2400 straight profit in college so there was my fraternity started doing other fraternities and sororities 
ended up driving cross country from Los Angeles to Massachusetts my sophomore year, stopping at every fraternity and sorority, door to door, every single Greek row, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, Texas, LSU, Auburn, Alabama, um, and just signing up different accounts saying how much you're making your shirts for. I can make them cheaper because I had no middleman. Um, and that's how I got into fashion uh, my freshman year, making shirts for all the fraternities and sororities across the country. Wow, that's a really cool story. Okay, I want to stop us there. I want to take us to part of a show we call Clear the Air. I got three fun questions. Are you ready? Let's go. All right, question one. When is the last time you tried something for the first time? I try to try things for the first time every single day. So whether it's an interesting food, uh, a new um, workout activity, I love doing all different types of workout activity. I think the most important thing I could do as an entrepreneur is try something new every single day and get as much exposure to as much different things. And I look at my computer, my brain like a computer. It's it's AI. So you're just trying to put new inputs into it that it could pull on in different ways. So the thing I'm trying for the first time right now is building our first retail store, uh, which is really fun. So, but I try to get exposure to everything. Go to different countries. Uh, learn different cultures, try different things. And the more I can learn and, and see, the more different references I could pull on when I'm creating. Excellent. Okay, question two. What is one skill you don't possess but wish you did? It's huh, one skill I don't possess which I wish I did. Most of the things I don't possess, I try to gain. So, you know, there was a while where I always thought of myself as tone deaf and I couldn't be musical at all. But I just started studying it. And what I've learned is like, I, I, I don't think that people are born with skills that you can't acquire. Any skills you want, you can go acquire. Like I was never flexible. And the past year I've been going to yoga almost every single day. And I'm like, whoa, I could become that flexible. So the two things I'm really working on, flexibility uh, and music. I like to try to figure out whatever my weaknesses are and then turn them into strengths just by hard work and figuring things out. <clears throat> Great answer. Has has yoga helped like you mentally and for business, do you think? Yoga has helped my life more than anything that I could ever imagine. Um, there's something about doing yoga and yoga is something that when you're doing it, you don't see results right away and it's extremely painful every single day and it's very hard. So it, it ingrains in your mindset doing things over and over again that you don't see instant results that it compounds over time. Um, and just sitting in difficult situations and being in difficult poses. Um, it's given me the strength to mentally, when I'm in difficult things, just breathe through it. And yoga, they just say, breathe through it. You just got to breathe. Um, so I've, I've taken that to everyday life and it's been really powerful. Really cool. Um, I've done some hot yoga, not consistently, but I've, I, I, I liked uh, some of the hot yoga I did, but ha haven't been a practicing yogi. That's for sure. Um, mm -hmm. Okay. Last question. What is one thing you agree with, but most people do not agree with? I think it's the idea that anything is possible, like literally anything. And I have some friends who are extremely successful and they share the same mindset where it's like, you know, if they want to go be an astronaut, they can go train to be an astronaut. Like, I still think if I want to play in the NBA, I'm 28 years old and I'm, I'm five foot 11 and I can't jump. But I think if I set my mind to it, I can go play in the NBA. And people think that's crazy, but like, I just think the power of um, dedication, if you set your mind to anything, you can go do absolutely anything. You want to gain a million followers on social media, set your mind to it. You'll make it happen. You want to become a billionaire, set your mind to it. So I really do believe that anything's possible in the power of mindset. I love it. Um, okay. 
Thank you for playing that with me. Um, let's get into the story of feet. So I'm really intrigued by this story of feet. Started out selling t-shirts to frats across the country. Now this really big um, DTC brand. Tell us a little bit more about feet, how it got going, how it grew, and what led you to a physical location? Yeah, so feet started in college. Uh, this is 2014 which is a lot different time. It's crazy to think about how much the, the landscape's changed in the past eight years, seven or eight years. At the time, we were, e-commerce wasn't really a thing. Influencers weren't really a thing. I remember so well when we were getting started, we had uh, people from Facebook emailing us, hey, here's $30,000 in Facebook ad credits. Try advertising on our new platform. And we would just like not even respond to those emails. We're like, Haha, why would anyone ever advertise on Facebook? That's so crazy. Uh, so it's just crazy to see how the it's shifted so much. Um, in so many ways, but yeah, scaled the company over the years, um, rode a lot of the digital wave of the digital marketing um, resources available, like Facebook, Instagram, the, the great opportunities to scale a company extremely quickly with digital channels. Um, in the past year, we've really got to the scale where we're at the scale where it makes sense to go to retail um, and open our first retail stores. We have the brand awareness, we have the back end and supply chain, and we have the team that can manage it at scale and we have the financial resources too. So um, it's really exciting. We're gonna be opening up two stores this year, Los Angeles and San Diego. I'm in Los Angeles, my co-founders in San Diego and hopefully get to 10 stores in the next 12 months, um, depending on how successful we could show profit on these stores and uh, how much we could systemize scaling them. So um, it's definitely an interesting time for retail and an omni-channel approach. Yeah, for sure. So I, I live my life a lot in there. Um, so when you were, well, let's back up. So how many employees now? You, you keep mentioning team. How many employees are you guys at now? We have about 10 people full-time right now. And then a handful of contractors, agencies, and other people we leverage. So any given day, you know, we could have 20 to 50 people working on feet. Wow. And the whole, I, I'm curious how you went from the fraternity to how you started like manufacturing and getting your own and, and really getting that whole supply chain down. Yeah. Supply chain is really difficult. And, um, the only way to learn is a school of hard knocks <laughs> and, um, it's tough, especially working with manufacturers as you're scaling. Um, we got burned often and I remember so well, we started with socks. That was our first product. And we ordered, at first we were just going to TJ Maxx and Marshalls and buying a bunch of Nike socks and Adidas socks at discount and then printing designs on them. And that's how we started. Finally got big enough to place an order overseas with China, uh, ordered 5,000 units. They came perfectly. They came fast. We were excited. We sold through those 5,000 units, made, uh, had about $50,000 in cash. We sold them about $10 a pair, took that whole $50,000 and went and bought 20,000 units. We took all the money we made over the past couple months. So that, sent that same factory, the 20,000 units came. We had no cash, but we had 20,000 units that hit our, um, we had this little warehouse in college. And the 20,000 units, they had no um, spandex in them. So they didn't stretch. So they're like almost impossible to put them on your feet. So that, as at the point, like we were working this business for almost a year. Oh now we had no money, but we had 20,000 units of socks that you couldn't put on your feet. Oh my like, God. My friends would literally cut them off to get them off at night. Like in college, they go out, they go drinking, 
they come home, they couldn't get their socks off and they, we would cut them off. They're that bad. Um, so it's hard. Supply chain is difficult. It's uh, you got to go itch by inch. You can't, you can't grow too fast because when you try to make that jump too quickly, you know, there's, there's so much potential liability. So, um, yeah, it's tough. It's, it's wow. seven, eight years in the making. So that, what an unbelievable, uh, story there, I guess if you, after that point, what did you end up doing? How did you get, when did you get like your supply chain kind of like working, like in a rhythm? <laughs> it's still not take? working. It's, it's still, it's still going on. We're still getting it working in a rhythm. It's, um, but yeah. it, it, it's like, it seems like as, as soon as you get it, uh, it's always liable to be out of rhythm. As soon as you get in the rhythm, things happen. Right. So like we got in a pretty good rhythm about 18 months ago, two years ago. And then the cost to ship stuff on containers went from 3000 to $20,000 and we couldn't even get shipments in. Um, so it's like everything that can go wrong will go wrong and continue to go wrong. Luckily, I've been able to hire people who are more experts than me, who have the more bandwidth to be able to be more on top of it. But supply chain, it's like, it's everything that can go wrong will go wrong. Um, so yeah, it, it's never in rhythm, unfortunately. Yeah. We are going to take a quick break here, and now a word from one of our sponsors. Placer.ai is the world's most advanced foot traffic analytics platform, providing unprecedented visibility with accurate and actionable insights into the foot traffic analytics and consumer demand surrounding any location. Placer observes anonymized location data from a panel of over 30 million devices in the U.S. They then analyze the data with AI and machine learning algorithms to make estimations on visit trends for any retail location anywhere in the country. The platform empowers professionals in retail and commercial real estate to maximize their offline activities with reporting capabilities that include visit trends, true trade areas, cannibalization, void analysis, demographics, cross-shopping, favorite places, and much more. Try it for free at www.placer.ai. So you scale it up um, and are all the products feet products? Do you sell other products or is it completely DTC? Uh, just us right now, just direct to consumer. As we open up retail stores, we'll probably put little like tchotchkes or whatever it is, you know, little candles or, um, you know, different items like that. Maybe some glasses, uh, lip balm, whatever it is. But, um, right now just only our products. And have you wholesaled to anyone, whether it be Amazon Macy's, anybody? Yeah, we're starting to get into wholesale. We're starting to pre-book for spring 23. Over the past years, as we've really scaled so well digitally and we're getting, you know, tens or hundreds of millions of impression every month on our brand digitally, we've had a lot of inbound demand from wholesalers. Um, it's never been in the strategy until recently. We decided to go more omni-channel with our approach. Um, so yes, we are opening up select wholesale. We're in a good spot where we can be choosy with who we want to work with. And we have inbound demand from almost every major wholesale account possible, whether it's... Um, traditionals, um, mom and pops, um, B2B stuff. So a lot of interesting opportunities on the wholesale side. And luckily we get a, they're all at the table. We get to choose which ones make the most sense. Very cool. And, and so you land in deciding to go retail and you made a, a, a post that 
had some virality to it that said, you thought you'd never go into retail, now you're going into retail. I'm curious what the what the turning point for you to decide to open up a physical location was, and then how you land in Santa Monica. So I think a physical location is long overdue for our brand. We think about the amount of impressions and touch points our brands had in the digital world. It's really been lacking in the in the physical world. So it, it was very unbalanced how, how so many people knew us in the digital world, but no one knew what we are in the physical world. And the physical world is a great place to really tell your brand story a lot better in a physical space. Like humans are free to, we need to see and touch and feel. You, you can't just look at uh, things on a screen, on a four and a half inch screen on your iPhone. Um, so retail is definitely long overdue. We finally had the bandwidth and resources to really tackle it and, and to be able to do the things that we needed to do to make it awesome. So that was the, the genesis into retail. Um, you asked the second part of that question, which I forgot. If you remember. So, how Santa Monica, of all the markets oh, why in the Santa United Monica? States, yeah. why Santa Monica? Yeah. So I grew up in Los Angeles, um, and I have a very strong community here, a uh, network of massive influencers, celebrities, musicians, uh, professional athletes who I know out here. Um, and that just kind of brings the energy of the store for different events and different things we're doing. So it makes sense to be here with, with all these people I know here to be in the store um, and kind of create that energy and vibe here. Um, and then why Santa Monica? Why Main Street in particular? Uh, we wanted to be on the west side. Our brand is not West Hollywood or downtown. Uh, our brand is beachy, uh, Los Angeles, California, which you have to be on the west side, which you pretty much in your options are uh, Venice or Santa Monica. And then within those two places, your options are really Abbott Kinney or Main Street. Um, Abbott Kinney, we looked at, there wasn't much availability and it was about 15 bucks a square foot. So you're looking, we're looking at like a 2,300 square foot place that was close to like 35 grand a month. Um, Main Street was about a third of that price. Um, and I thought it was more up and coming. June Shine just opened a really cool kombucha, hard kombucha bar here. Um, Aviator Nation opened a really cool store down the street that's uh, called Avi Aviator Nation Ride, where they have like a whole cycling studio in the back. Um, it's a cool spot. It's up and coming, and uh, I think it really fits the brand. Excellent. And you want to open 10, you said, in the next 12 months, can we expect them all to be beachy? Uh, not necessarily beachy. But meaning coastal markets? No, I really don't think coastal markets. You know, beachy is a, a strong part of our brand, but uh, I think ski towns are really cool. Um, destination spots are really cool. Uh, I love things like Jackson Hole um, or some of these cool, really cool towns in Colorado that just have so much soul and heart to them. Um, as well as cities like, you know, that we have large customer base, like a Chicago or a Nashville or Atlanta. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really so, all over the U.S. So I'm, yeah, so I'm familiar with how a lot of the DTC, the, you know, some of the larger DTC brands today, how they started their physical. One of, one of the things they typically do is they use all their data and they're like, the, I would say the first store is typically safe, which they, they take and they go, okay, majority of our customers come from, you know, buy us from Denver. So a safe spot for us to really connect with our consumer, extend our brand would be Denver. And then as they grow, the, the next space they go to, they open more and more white spaces. They go down the list of the most and then they, 
some of them start to go into like lookalike cities or lookalike markets where like, okay, we don't have any people in Minneapolis really buying from us, but you know, the demographic and psychographic is very similar to Chicago. And so that's where we're going to open a physical store next. And that those are like the two, you know, two of the approaches that I see often from the DTC brands. Um, well, listen, man, uh, really exciting, really cool. I think one of the things you mentioned all the, how you scaled through digital marketing and all the social media channels. I think, you know, I came across you, you know, I'm in the retail space through and through and didn't know you from that. And I knew you had a DTC brand. I followed you because, um, you're, all over social media and you put out really interesting content and ways to improve. So, you know, your social media game, you have a LinkedIn book, uh, that was really entrepreneurial that you went and created that. Tell us about your social media experience, both for the brand and for you personally, cause you intermix them often. Yeah. So when I think of social media, I think it's like, when you think of some of the biggest brands today, I think it's important to know that like, it's consumers like knowing who's behind a brand, what their values are, who they are, what they stand for. I think a great example is, is uh, Elon Musk and Tesla, where uh, a lot of people love Elon Musk and that makes them love Tesla and they're almost one and the same. On the flip side, you know, if an entrepreneur has a, a negative brand, it could be very negative associated with them. Like Mark Zuckerberg, for example, gets a lot of negativity uh, with the negative brand with Facebook um, that they're, some of the things are happy. So I think it's important for, every founder to have a personal brand. It's important to know who's behind companies you're buying from um, to make sure your values align with their founders. Um, so I've always prioritized a building our, our social brands um, and, and our company's brand, but also my own and saying like, Hey, you know, I'm proud of what feed is and I'm proud of who I am. And I want to, I want to align the two pretty well. And I want, you know, people to align with what we align with and what I aligned with. So that was the idea. Um, been able to grow the brand, I'm one of the most followed accounts on LinkedIn, just posting content there, which is really an awesome platform. Been growing my TikTok recently. Uh, I think I got a couple hundred thousand on Instagram too. So uh, my personal brand has has been great for lead gen for um, the brand. A lot of my personal brand, I talk about just finding comfort in life. So whether it's you know talking about how to monitor what foods you're eating and how they're affecting you, understanding breath work, understanding what clothing can do and how that could make you feel differently. Uh, a lot of that, it's all about finding comfort in your everyday. And that's what I like talking about. That's what I like searching for is how do I live life? My mentality is how can I live life as comfortably as I am when I'm sitting alone at home on my couch with some basketball shorts and a hoodie on like that feeling of comfort. I want that 24 seven in what I wear and how I feel. So I talk a lot about that and it aligns pretty well with our brand. Got it. Well, Give everyone your handle on social media. I'm just at Taylor Offer on pretty much everything. People... So, yeah, T A Y L O R O F F E R. So, Taylor Offer, uh, Google, Instagram, uh, Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, all the places. And how do they find feet? Just F E A T on Instagram, TikTok, um, and then feetclothing.com is the website. So, at F E A T on all socials and then F E A T clothing.com. If you want to go check it out. Will do. 
last part of the show is called Retail Wisdom. I do have one uh, business question before that. How connected will the, when you open, will the digital and the physical be connected? Like, will I be able to like buy online, return it in a store? Will I be able to do buy online, you know, will I be able to do that type of stuff yet? Are you there yet? Yeah, I, yeah, I think I think we will be. We're going to be using the Shopify point of sale system, which we also use for our digital. So there, I think there should be some integrations. Uh, I haven't tested through, but yeah, I think the most the more flawless the experience can be for the consumer, and integrated the better. Yeah, agreed. Someone who does that really well, the the best at it, uh, and there's a lot of good ones. But if you've ever just like, if you haven't, you should just check out Target. As simple as it is, like. You can buy it. They'll ship it to you in two hours. You can go in the store. You can buy it online and they'll drop it off in your trunk. You could buy it online, pick it up in the store, and they got it working. It's a family yeah. favorite in the household. So Yeah, I'm sure Target's it's really it, it's It's really They got the resources. So, they, yeah. <laughs> yes, they do. They got the balance sheet. So anyway, I'm going to take you to the last part of the show. I got three fun questions. You ready for the fun ones, Taylor? Yep. All right. What extinct retailer do you wish would come back from the dead? That's so as I'm thinking about this question, I'm trying to think like, I don't really know of many extinct retailers. To be frank, I was never really a shopper growing up um, just because I didn't really have money growing up. So I didn't really, uh, I was never really a shopper or a consumer of anything. Uh, most of the things I got were hand-me-downs or secondhand. I, I never really shopped as much. If I had to say anything, I, I would probably lean to some like local restaurants that I like that went out of business. But um, I was, it's funny yeah. enough. Like I was never one to like go into stores and shop in stores. So if I had to say anything, I'd say just my local restaurants and um, you know, sandwich shops. Got it. Okay. Question two, what is the last item over $20 you bought in a store? <laughs> Probably the matcha I had for uh, breakfast today. I think it was like a fifteen dollars matcha with a matcha. with a tip that turned out to be like uh, it's crazy. I mean, especially in LA, and it, I got a fifteen dollars matcha today, and then the thing turns around. It's like you want to tip twenty five, thirty, or thirty five percent. I'm like, wow, like I'm about to spend twenty dollars on a matcha. Um, so I think that's the the most yeah, expensive the thing I've had recently. <laughs> Understood. Okay, last question. If you and I were shopping at Target. And I lost you. What aisle would I find you in? Probably in the better for you food area. Um, and I'd probably be reading food labels. I'm pretty, I've gotten, I've started to really understand the importance and significance of knowing what I'm putting in my body and food. So I've become obsessed with reading food labels. It's something I never did before. I would just look at something and it'd be like, oh, this looks healthy. Or it says low sugar on the front, which means... It's healthy, which is, that's not the case. You know, it could be loaded with other things or um, just because something looks healthy or is sold at Whole Foods or Target in the healthy section, uh, you got to read the labels. You got to know what's in stuff. So uh, I spend a lot of time reading labels of different food to understand what ingredients are inside of what I'm eating. Excellent, man. Well, listen, Taylor, this was great. I really appreciate the time. Everyone check them out on all your social channels and go to feetclothing.com. Taylor, this awesome. has been great. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Retail Retold. If you want to share a story about a retail real estate deal that you were a part of on our show, 
please reach out to us at retailretold at dlcmgmt.com. This show highlights the stories behind the deals from all perspectives. So it doesn't matter if you are a retailer, broker, entrepreneur, architect, or an attorney. Also, don't forget to subscribe to Retail Retold so you don't miss out on next Thursday's episode.